Welcome to the podcast that's dedicated to making you a faster cyclist, the Ask a Cycling Coach podcast presented by Trainer Road. I'm Coach Jonathan Lee with our head coach, Chad Zimmerman. Hi, everybody. Our CEO, Nate Pearson. Hello. And we are going to answer more of your cycling and triathlon-related questions today. You can submit them to us at trainerroad.com slash podcast, and we will read every one of them that comes through. And well, we put them... Yeah. Jonathan Well. <laughs> yes, true story. Yep. <laughs> and by we, I mean... <laughs> yes. <laughs> we read them. I, you guys read them through proxy. That's yes, how we, we make do. it work. Exactly. Um, and then we actually, we have a meeting where we go over all the questions that we put in. We sort, we research, do all that stuff. Uh, it's a whole process. We judge, you know. your, so. judge your merit. <laughs> <laughs> going to say we know all of this off the top of our heads <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wish. yeah no we we do we do put in a lot of research into this stuff too so especially chad i should say i, I don't put in as much and uh, nate nate puts in a fair amount though so um on studies <laughs> it's really chad i say hey chad remember that study he's like yeah i remember that study and then he goes and looks it up. <laughs> that's a good way to do it um nate we have a few things to cover beforehand yep Go ahead. We, uh, two more job positions. We filled the engineering positions. Thanks, everyone, for applying. Uh, we got one podcast listener and user. Oh, cool. Jason, awesome. Onto our team. Right. Really, it's awesome to be able to communicate that way um, because you don't have to tell them all, every, all the things in cycling, right? Yeah, yeah. And then what we're now hiring are two new designers, and I would love to get podcast or um, podcast listeners or trainer users or just cyclists mm-hmm. in general um, as part of the design team. And uh, I believe they're trying to hire in the Folsom, Sacramento area. But uh, if you're really cool, remote will work too. And we're, we're having two positions. One's like a pure product designer. And then one is a uh, like a HTML, CSS less kind of implementer designer. Still the ability though, to design web pages and stuff. And you can apply for those at trainerroad.com slash jobs. The post might not be up for a f- until next week. This is the... okay. March 1st today. Exactly right. 2018. Mm-hmm. But you can always look for jobs there and there's an RSS feed that you can apply to to get uh, notified when new jobs come up. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, the other thing that we should cover before we get into what we're really going to be digging into today is you raced your mountain bike again and yes. you bumped yourself up. I did. I raced uh, expert. Yeah. And I swear there'll be takeaways from this. I guess, yes. Well, and, that, and that's what we always try to do. We try not to give you like the race report that nobody really cares about. Okay. We try so to give you the, the starting line. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, start at breakfast. You see exactly. that <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, Basically, I moved up to the expert category because I had a friend coming and he was going to raise expert and he mm-hmm. had won all the races before. And then Pete Morris, our product manager, was going to drive down, and I really wanted to beat him. <laughs> uh, and he was going to race expert, so I was like, well, I'll just race expert. Who? Yeah, it doesn't yeah. really matter. That uh, would have been pretty tough. He's a heck of a descender. But uh, my power to wait. And this course, though, it isn't really like a descender's course, right? It's not, but yeah. so we'll get into that. Okay. Anyways, Pete didn't show up, and I beat my friend by 15 minutes, although he did oh, have yeah. a – Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he had a, a mechanical. <laughs> I'm saying 15 just, minutes. Just he had a, like a race ending. <laughs> he had a cleat mechanical. Oh yeah, but uh, so that took he said about seven minutes out of his course. Yeah, but he also uh, he beat me in every cross race this fall mm-hmm. handily, like by two three minutes. Mm-hmm. So this was great. Anyways, uh, I ended up fourth out of six in my age group, and without the pros, I was fifteen out of thirty. So right in mid, it was awesome. Mm-hmm. Here's the takeaways. One thing, um, pretty much 100% of people told me not to race expert. Mm-hmm. But the one thing I noticed is based on Strava times, it's a four lap course, took me two hours and 22 minutes. The first three quarters of the first lap I held with like the, the front group mm-hmm. and my descending skills went up like 
so much faster. Necessarily. And then, yeah. And then after that, it was like I was kind of in no man's land and my descents went slower and slower. Mm-hmm. But Jonathan, like, does that happen? Yeah. Like it's, it's kind of interesting. I think there are two sorts of people that react to this in two different ways. Uh, in your situation, I, th- I bet you benefited from just the line choice that everyone was taking. Yep. So you were just following suit with that group, right? And then it kind of felt like you were like, oh, okay, this is actually easy to hold this speed through here because I'm taking the right lines. And then on the other side of things, I think there are people that are just very uncomfortable with the speed period, which was actually you before. But I think since you refined your technique and, mm-hmm. and everything else, it's changed. And doing it more. Yeah, helps mm-hmm. that too. But I think that some people are actually terrified by that because they go into it and they think, oh, no, this is just too fast. Uh, but when you – that is a benefit of riding with the expert groups like that. When you ride with them – you can put a certain amount of trust into the fact that they're not going to be going over their heads mm-hmm. when they're going through the, whatever the, the section is. We talked about this too, though, that front group is the safe spot to be with that. Like those guys probably aren't going to be going over their heads, but if there's a couple guys off the front that are really pushing it, there's no guarantee that they aren't going to go over their heads. Right. But yeah. if it's like a sizable group toward the front, usually can trust. This is a weird speed thing. So mm-hmm. I've been always been scared of speed and you guys know I drive slow. I do everything slow, right? <laughs> um, I got into somebody's Tesla P100D and I did the ludicrous mode and it's this acceleration is as fast as falling. Yeah. The next day I raced and man, when you go over that crest and you start to accelerate, it does, it feels like nothing. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, like your bar's been raised, right? Exactly. Yeah. Like uh, kind of, so I don't, I don't know if that's a thing or maybe uh, just I think with skiers too, the same way you, you guys experience so much speed and like mm-hmm. acceleration skiing mm-hmm. and then a mountain bike, it's slower. You mentioned that with motocross. Oh yeah. Everything's slow, right? Oh yeah. yeah. This, this reminds me, anytime I drive to a race, I usually drive kind of Nate style, a little slow and cautious. And then after the race, I always drive home substantially faster. Yeah. And, <laughs> and you're wonder, drafting, right? Yeah. I wonder if that's part of it. Because yeah. your bar is raised. accustomed to speed. Yeah. Yeah. I think there is something to that. It's like the, I think that there's, I, I bet that it's ingrained pretty deeply into our psyche to kind of be like, whoa, uh, caution yeah. in those sort of moments. Yep. So then when we kind of recalibrate like that, I think it has a, a temporarily lasting effect and sometimes perhaps permanent, but. So that, it, that it just, it makes me think like, hey, I'm capable of descending that way and I mm-hmm. felt safe during it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to try to work on that next Perspective week. Perspective shifts a bit, a little confidence. Exactly, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that the takeaway, uh, flat turns. Flat turns, we've talked about it before. Can you go over just for a second, Jonathan, what you should do in a flat turn on mountain biking? Yeah, the, 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 the problem with flat turns is lack of traction usually in the sense that you don't have a berm to hold yourself. So the main thing that you want to do is make sure that you have proper traction, but you aren't going to be suddenly shifting your line and you aren't going to be having to slam on your brakes suddenly, as we know in road racing, that's usually a lot of the time when you see somebody just go down in the middle of a turn and it seems somewhat strange, it's usually because they got a little too, too handsy with the brakes, right? So the main thing that you want to do in a turn, and if anybody skied, you can think of this as well. The majority of your weight or pressure goes onto the outside ski when you ski and you turn. And just like in mountain biking, you want to put the majority of that weight or all, really all the weight on that outside pedal. And it drops down to six o'clock. Um, you don't want to do this necessarily for every turn. Like if it's a bermed turn, you probably don't need to do it. And in some situations you might not need to drop the foot out, but if you feel like you need traction, you drop that foot out there and then it's, it's a thing where you, you, you're looking to the exit of the turn and beyond the exit of the turn, but not just with your head, it's your whole body. And what that ends up doing, and, and Nate, you talked about like that, that 
technique of thinking of sticking your butt out to the outside of the turn, right? Yep. And when you do that, it does help move your pelvis and the weight and your body. And what that does, if you think about it, your bike's leaning and this is bad radio. I know if this is for a podcast, but for the video viewers, when you're leaning your bike over like that, if you have your weight on the inside, you're pushing your tires out and you'll fall. But if you have your weight offset to the outside, when you're leaning your bike like that, it's pushing it straight down a lot closer to straight down so that you actually have traction on those knobs. It's almost like, uh, when when I have my hips out, like my body, upper body, I'm still hinged is almost straight up, but Mm -hmm. my bike is leaned to like, yeah, you're accentuating that, that body bike separation that we talk about. And how Lee Mm -hmm. McCormick said it is, uh, he even showed me, he took a wheel off and he spun around the parking lot. The more you, you like, he spun it on its edge, Mm -hmm. the tighter the turn is. So the tighter the flat turn was, the more I'd lean the bike and the less I would lean. I mean, then my body would be more upright. Yeah. And the other part was having that, there's actually a lot of pressure on the hand on the inside of the handlebar. Yeah, good point. Yes. And if I didn't, if I did all of those together, man, it felt like I was on this, like these rails, like, like Mm -hmm. a roller coaster. I felt like I had more traction than going half the speed. I kind of felt like the. Mountain bikers always say, you know, the outside edge hooks up. And I was like, what is that? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) You got it now. I don't have it. It's kind of like rubbing your head, wait, yeah, patting your, your head and rubbing, rubbing your belly. belly. <laughs> it's like, you know how to do it. And if you wait a second, you can do it. Yeah. But if I just walked up to somebody and said, do it right now. Yeah. It'd be tough. It would be tough, right? You can, yeah. It takes a second. And it, with mountain biking, if it takes a second, it's, you're already too late. Mm. Yeah. That, that pressure on the inside hand, you know, a, a lot of people call that counter steering, but I think that is kind of bad because that makes people concentrate on the direction of their wheel. Yeah. And that really is neither here nor there. Like that's going to happen. That's consequence, but it's really about properly waiting. And if you're really waiting the outside pedal like that, you're going to have to wait the inside. It's, yeah. It's just not going to work. Otherwise. One doesn't come without the other. <laughs> yep. Exactly. Right. Um, yeah, man, that's awesome. Cause that's like, that is one of my, my, the moments and the feelings that I search for and love most about mountain biking is when I can feel that hook on the, on the side knobs. And it's almost like an acceleration. It's just like skiing. Yeah. Like you, mm-hmm. you really rip out of your turns and, and it feels so cool. And if you're not hinged and if you don't know about hinging, go to our, uh, how, How to, to be- become a faster mountain biker on YouTube. Yep. Mm-hmm. You can look up Trainer Road YouTube and find that. If you don't hinge, you feel like you're going to fly off the back of the bike. Yes. And you have to, and it's squirrely and bad things will happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that brings us up to our last point that we want to talk about is I'm, I'm looking at the, the, the times and to be like the next three people were 1.5% ahead of me in time. Mm-hmm. Uh, top 10 was 5.5 and the, the winners were 12.5% ahead in time. That's a lot. Mm-hmm. But I'm thinking... Okay, my power, based on some of the climbs, maybe not the top pros, they're still stronger than me, but a lot of people that were stronger than me that beat me, I'm still, str- or um, sorry, that beat me in the race, I'm still stronger than on a climb. Mm-hmm. But on these descents, can I be 10% faster mm-hmm. on every descent, right? Yeah, and, and when you break it down into those terms, it actually seems achievable. Right. Mm-hmm. It's uh, We were talking about this, so the nationals, the mountain bike nationals course that happened at Mammoth, uh, not last year, but the year before, uh, it, we continually have a race called the Kamikaze Games that happens on the same course, actually. So it's kind of fun to be able to go back year after year and compare uh, to at what point I was at a peak for my for my cycling career, if you could call it that. 
And I looked at it and last year I was 6% off, uh, where I was nationals year. 6% doesn't seem like a lot, but it yields a big amount of time, a massive amount of time. And when you think about it that way, and you think all the little things you could do to just knock that percentage down, it actually becomes easier. Like you, you think like, okay, I can achieve this, you know, yeah. it's like little grabs. And I know it's the concept of marginal gains, but we're not talking about necessarily like getting a better pillow. We're talking about the small things you can do in it's the not, race. It's not marginal gains. It's incremental improvement. I mean, you can't That's chase. 20% improvement, but you can chase 2% 10 times. Mm -hmm. it's, it's just far more attainable and uh, less intimidating. Well, then the next three people ahead of me, they were like within us, like it was like one second each and they're 1.5% ahead of me. I guarantee you, um, just looking at my Strava times on the descents, I dropped probably 10% mm -hmm. like from the beginning to the end on time, just because I wasn't Right. I wasn't being aggressive on the descents like I should. That's just an interesting thing. Like, can I take this ten turn 10% faster? Can I take the descent 10% faster? Yeah. Can I hit my brakes 10% later? Like all these, mm -hmm. that seems achievable, yeah. right? Rather than just, I need to get through this turn as fast as possible, then weird things happen. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, exactly. Like yeah. being more data-driven about it, I guess. And like, I really liked how you said the incremental improvements, mm -hmm. like instead of chasing 10% on one lap, you chase 2% on one lap and then you just slowly build up because like you said, if you try to get too much too soon, then that's when bad things can happen, but yeah. you can really ease a lot of anxiety, especially when we're talking about corners and thinking of like criteriums, or I'm mm -hmm. thinking of a triathlon that maybe has like a lot of climbing or something like that you can really ease your way into it. And then just focus on the next turn. I just want to make a fraction of a percent better or a percent better than the last. And if you do that, then by the end, you'll, you'll be rocking and rolling. Yeah, any lap race, it doesn't matter what your goals are. It's an opportunity to learn over and over and over and over again. That repetition lends itself so well to figuring stuff out. Yeah. yeah. And some, something I wanted to, to mention, this is something I thought of a couple of weeks ago, actually, when we were with the Cliff Bar team, and then we went off and did our own little ride in, in the Berkeley Hills. And this is something I wanted to mention on the podcast, but it relates to this is, um, you know, a lot of people write in and they're, they're frustrated that, you know, like we, we talk about really big FTPs a lot of the time or, or big improvements, that sort of a thing. And something I want to make clear with this too, is it doesn't just come purely naturally to people to do this and to, to just turn perfectly every time or have perfect technique. When I <laughs> <You> think, <laughs> no, and, and, but I think a lot of people think, oh, yeah. well, it's just easy for him. Mm -hmm. And while it, they may, it may be easier for one person than another. I still, every time, at least just speaking for me, every time I go through a turn on a road bike or anything else, I'm absolutely running through the mechanics in my mind. And I'm almost always getting better at tour as the ride goes on, it just happens. So it's, it's, it's all a continuous process that you do. It's not just like you've leveled up and you never drop back down or something. Mm -hmm. That's a big thing in business, uh, where we're like a lot of times departments and bigger companies where ego is involved or people don't like trust their managers. You'll start measuring a process. People don't want to be measured because they think, oh, it's going to be so bad. I'm going to get fired or something's going to change big. Like, yep. you know, I might not lose my job. Mm -hmm. um, really, this applies to cycling too. Just wherever you are, measure it and then just focus on improving it. It doesn't matter yeah. if your FTP is 180 or 380. Just, just be where you are. And now what are the behaviors I have to do to then have the outcome that I want? Yep. And that's the same with uh, doing it for mountain biking with turns. I'm, my FTP in mountain biking turns is like 80, <laughs> right? Right. Yeah, right. <laughs> Maybe 80. <laughs> Um, or out of a scale of probably 500, right? Of but it's going person. up. It's going up. And, and I'm that's trying the to, important next thing. time I'm race, I'm going to try to be 85. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And it's okay. And 
it's just as long as I'm safe, I'm happy. Process, yeah. Exactly. Absolutely is. Uh, we're going to take a good amount of this podcast and we're going to talk about TT equipment. Uh, if you saw the, the, the post that we had for this uh, beforehand or the reminder on Facebook or anything else like that, I'm sure you saw the picture of the TT bike and read some of the copy there with that. We are in the middle of all three of us, a quest to become faster time trialists. We're going to be documenting this on, uh, with a video that you'll be able to see as, as we go through this, but you'll also be able to hear a lot about this firsthand through the podcast as well. But we're basically trying to leave as many breadcrumbs as possible along our path to being a faster time trialist. So then that way it's something that you could do too. And right now we're, we're just really, I think I'm transitioning again to the point where I'm soon going to be transitioning out of my base phase and into something that's more time trial specific. But we're really, the training stuff isn't as much what we're going to talk about today. It's really the equipment side of things because we finally have everything at least on the way if it's not here. We have a pretty good idea of what we're going to use. Mm -hmm. We're going to test stuff. Absolutely. So I think probably the first thing to say is that, uh, and we'll touch on this later is that who's going to win. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about that first. That's a foregone conclusion. Yeah. Let's just move on. Oh, is that going to be you? Obviously. <laughs> Did you hear the obvious was very quiet? Yeah. <laughs> I don't need to overstate it. That's all. I, I don't think, uh, I don't think I'm going to be threatening you guys for a win. Um, I've never TT'd before other than just doing like Merxing TTs just in kind of just, you know, plotting my way through it. Right. Um, so this will be my first time on a TT bike, Chad, you've, you've raced TTs at national levels and finished very close to the podium. Um, How close Chad, very close. How Move close? On. Let <laughs> Move everyone on. know. Fraction of a second. Point uh, yeah. two. Uh, 0.7, whatever. It's less than a second. Ah, so close. And then Nate, (laughs) I mean, you started in triathlon, so you're familiar with the time trialing scene and then you've done time trials pretty regularly. And as a trap, I'm going to win. You do time trials. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. Uh, he's got pacing down. He knows how to suffer. I mean, it's, it's yeah. all his ducks are in a row. So he, and, he's actually a worthy competitor now. It's not going to be a yeah. cakewalk for me. And he's fast right now. That's what I'm saying. He's Nate. He's fascinating. No, he's I actually on the radar. Yeah. I'm not, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm not even fast yet, guys. <laughs> yeah, I've been sick room for to grow. two months. I think, I think he's leveled out. Yeah. Topped out. Oh, you think I've topped out? <laughs> I do. I do. I think, Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. I, I'm not trying to discourage you. I just from like a coaching perspective, physiological perspective, how rapid the improvement has come. I, I think you're pushing up against your ceiling. I yeah. hate to uh, <laughs> do it. Disappoint me. Make you feel so. Right now, my FTP. Let's talk about this for a second because this is big. <laughs> we'll get into gear after. Okay, because I don't. I'd hate to put you in a position that makes you look wrong, Chad. But and this, <laughs> coaches, I will do. Coaches it. don't always get it right. Okay, and 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 in a case like this, I'd be happy to be wrong. Okay, great. Mm-hmm. Uh, my FTP right now is three forty-five. Mm-hmm. Uh, why do you think I can't go higher? Because you started at what two eighty six months ago. Maybe it's just lower. such a tremendous improvement. A big increase. <laughs> yeah, I, I just don't think there's a whole lot of, uh, of margin or, or any more fruit hanging at the low end of that tree, and and and, and the higher to reach stuff. It's harder to reach. So we're looking at Mm -hmm. very marginal gains from this point forward, if any. And not that this matters as much for a time trial, because uh, we we talk about power to weight ratio pretty regularly as as a good determinant of of a, well, certainly a determinant of one's ability to go up a hill quickly. But in this case, it's going to be a pan flat TT is the plan. So it's really about power to aerodynamic drag. Yep. Um, Mm -hmm. But uh, where are you in terms of power to weight ratio, just so then we can have like a uh, I guess some sort of, of bearing here. I'm at 4.1 watts per kilo, which is pretty high. I'm like 100. And, yeah, I I think four. Like you're if you whoever reaches four watts per kilo, I'm like that's a serious cyclist, yep. yeah, right? Like yeah. that is that's hard yes. to do. Mm-hmm. Um, unless you're Jonathan. <laughs> so because uh, Jonathan just is four watts coming off the couch. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Thanks. 
And then I'm about 182 to 185 pounds, depending on yeah. the time of the week. So do you think that you have, um, in this case, you're not worried about losing weight. It's nope. just about increasing power. I'd be happy to gain 10 more pounds. Yeah. Happy. Yeah, the if, way, if it came uh, with the way to, power. Yep. Exactly. The weight on a race like this is of no consequence. I, I won't say no consequence, but of far less consequence than something that goes uphill or as varied terrain. So mm-hmm. the the whole you know weight loss tack we've taken over years past is just not even part of this consideration. If, if you're, and sorry, we're digressing a bit on yeah. this. Um, uh, and I'm going to digress from our digression, if Let's you will. Let's do it. <laughs> but uh, a, a time, tri- or sorry, a triathlete. In this case, though, because I know triathletes might be listening to this and thinking like, sweet, you know, I can I can bulk up and get some more power. Is is that not necessarily better? I mean, they got to run, though. Yeah, they they're still do... they still have to cart that mass around on yeah. the run, especially. Mm-hmm. But uh, over courses that are seldom, if ever, pan flat, like this, mm-hmm. this time trial course. So so in this case, we're really talking within the context of triathlon. But and there will be plenty of takeaways to go to take from this. But really, we're focused right now since it's just a since it's just a TT we're really focused on power to aerodynamic drag. So can you, I guess the so question so is- that I think we should stop talking about strength to weight ratio. And once we get our, uh, are we going to get a CDA measurement? Yes, at the, yes Okay, we so, so we'll, be, we'll be able to actually apply power to- We'll be able to say who's going And it's all going to be based on heart after that. Mathematically, execution. We basically you, will be, yeah. And yeah. execution, you got so it. I want to- so One, one I, thing though, okay. before we go. So I guess the question is then, and we, we hopefully will improve your CDA, but I, we can't really speak a whole lot to that right now uh, since, you know, we don't have aero testing here. What is CDA? Oh, yeah. Uh, that's your coefficient or of drag area, something of that sort. Basically, it's uh, it's your... It's how coefficient of drag times your your, your size. Your yes. frontal area. area. Yeah, yes. but uh, I, the easier way to say it is like uh, how much... I can't think of an easy way to say this. <laughs> how much how much drag you have yeah. pretty much how, how much drag you have how slippery you are that's a good way to put it how slippery mm-hmm. you are yep yeah so in this case then i think the question about nate peaking or hitting a ceiling is better said instead of peaking is can he raise of, power in terms of fitness yeah there are there are other matters. avenues to to explore so, so your, your pacing your position your aerodynamics but in uh, terms of raising his ftp or his threshold you think that he's at least for now probably pretty close to to a ceiling it's, it's my guess my theory yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, you're wrong there. Based on, I don't know, a fair amount of experience, but we'll we'll see. (laughs) He's got a point. He's got a lot of experience. Two points. First, going back to kind of triathlons, 40K TT. I'm a triathlete friends. You know this. We know how to suffer. Even though the 40K part of it's not all out. Oh, yeah. That run, man, a sprint. I've, I've. Still, I have never gone as deep as I as I do in a sprint triathlon in any bike race. Oh, I'm sure. It's that last 5K. That is just inside out. And then there's a whole nother level of deep suffering for an Ironman. But you guys, so that's you got a weird level of suffering. That's right there. weird. It's yeah. Different, yeah. It's different than the, the, it, the sprint is intense, but mm-hmm. triathletes, we know how to suffer. I'm going to, I'm going to do you right. Nice. Okay. Representing okay. the triathletes. Okay. Second part of it yeah. is I guarantee you my, unless I get sick again, which I might, and that might be part of the whole too much. We'll talk about um, that if we get to I the get questions. sick four more times, but if I get, uh, I, I guarantee you my FTP is going to go up again, guaranteed. And <laughs> the only question is, though, is can I put out the same amount of power on my TT bike that I can on my road bike? Mm-hmm. Because I'm at 345 now. I might get bumped down to 320, 310 on my TT bike. Then it's a race. Yeah, I don't like that you're resigning yourself to that big of a deficit, that big of a loss. But I don't know. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, that's, that's, just, to, that's what you got. That just sounds thing. like a, a poor fit. If you, if you have to cost yourself, yeah. what are we talking, like 10%, 15% of your power? I'm adding drama. Yeah. It's going to be 370, <laughs> dude. I just don't. <laughs> okay. I think that with our fits, we both found, and, and, and talking about the fit process, I think that we both found a spot where power was important. Like, you know, we were using the eye test to figure out drag, but really like it was trying to get us into a position that was going to make us aerodynamic. Really, it was power first is what we were really looking at. It's comfort so. first. It's yep. yeah. Yeah. And that's what I should say is, is comfort that enabled power output. Yeah. I, so I, I don't know for sure because our, we'll talk about it in a second. The bikes are on the way. And once mm -hmm. I get the bike fit up the way that Dan Enfield put me in, I mean, when I was on that copy trainer. I, we the have it on bike, I should the say, fit yeah. bike. Yeah. With the compu trainer. Feel good. There was a spot and we have it on recording where I said, this is it. Yeah. You guys better watch out. <laughs> and I was, yeah. what was I doing on that? Three, three, 340 or three fifty. Yeah. Cool. And it felt good. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. 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 yeah okay. I felt comfy. So I think that the fits are going to be good. We're going to, so we've got the fit process done for us, but then we're going to be heading down to aero testing. That's E R O. Um, we're going to be heading or Aerosport, I should say, is the, is the name of the company. They, uh, work with the velodrome in LA and what they do is yeah. Yeah. in Carson, I should say, yeah, more specifically. And what they do is they use, uh, sensors from Garmin aerodynamics used to be called alpha mantis. And they use those sensors on the bike to be able to pick up real time drag that you're, that you're actually uh, experiencing. And then they, ex they, they combine that with power data and then speed. And since they have the very controlled circumstances of the velodrome, they're mm -hmm. able to have a constant there that they can then, uh, measure things against. So what you're able to do is you're able to make small changes and you're able to get actually really darn quick information. And it's kind of interesting because a wind tunnel is, it's a little tougher to be able to, I guess, make those changes and see real world differences. A lot of the time too, they'll be measuring the, the efficiency changes or they'll be measuring the equipment and perhaps not the exact speed that you plan on riding during the 40 K TT. Hmm. Uh, whereas we can actually ride at that speed. So then we'll know we'll actually get drag data for that speed that we plan to do. So there's some certain advantages to it. Yeah. And we're going to go down there and we have a ton of stuff to test. Um, we should probably just run through the equipment, I guess. Right. Well, let me talk a little bit more between the Velodrone and the, okay. And cool. the wind tunnel. Yeah. One thing that we won't get are, uh, are drag numbers at different yaw angles, True. yaw angles, meaning how the wind is hitting us. Like if there's a 30 mile per hour crosswind, which is, which is possible. I mean, it's, it's a windy region where we'll be racing, yeah. but I'm going to argue that we wouldn't optimize our position for a 30 mile per and hour crosswind. Exactly. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. matter. Mm -hmm. But if you are a bike manufacturer or a wheel manufacturer, you do definitely want to know how your bike mm -hmm. like has drag with that stuff. So yes. that those type of people, wind tunnel. The wind tunnel for us too, what was the price quoted for three of us? $27,000. $27,000. That's a lot of money. And what is like a three-hour session here? I, I don't know if it's per I, – I, I almost – I'm – Pretty positive it's five hundred dollars a person. Yeah, five hundred. Okay, it's a whole lot cheaper. Than That's a whole lot. whole lot cheaper. I like the idea of being able to uh, pedal while we're yes. there too. Yes, and then doing quick changes. The other the the, the other downside, which um, and if I can do it, anyone can do it, is riding on the actual velodrome. Right. They say that you'll have plenty of time to get used to it because you don't want to like you know be squirrely on it because then your mm -hmm. test is going to be as accurate. But I'm really excited to do this, and yeah. I'm hoping I like to go back with like road bike. Yeah. Even mountain bike. That sounds bad, but. <laughs> Leadville. Yeah, like, right? Like, like honestly, yeah. it matters a lot at a race like Leadville. Yeah, if I, wanna... I dip my head or if I hold here, how many watts am I saving? Yeah, exactly. Like, or aero bars on my mountain bike. Yeah. Like, how many watts am I saving? Well, one, one of the major criticisms with uh, aero testing in a, in a wind tunnel is that riders can adopt a position that's that's 
dialed. I mean, it's so so exactly what they want in appearance, mm. and, and their arrow numbers are terrific. But getting tr trying to translate that to actually riding on a road, I mean, they, they always say it with a caveat. Okay, well, this is your most aerodynamic position. Now let's see how that carries to the road. Mm -hmm. We're actually going to be effectively on the road while we're yeah. trying to dial this stuff in. That's a key thing, and I think it's Jim who does this. Jim, yes, and he does a whole bunch of testing. I I want to get his feedback, but my plan is to ride at whatever my FTP is okay. for every single test. Because, because I, if you're riding at I, 200 watts, it doesn't feel the same at oh, yeah, certainly does exactly. not. Yeah, exactly. And ideally, <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> and ideally uh, for your situation, uh, or for our situation, we're going to be riding as close as we can to our threshold for this 40K TT, right? Mm -hmm. That's the plan. So it's a good, that's an easy spot for us to hit. Yep. Um, so uh, let's cover the bikes that we're going to be on. Okay. Uh, Chad, you're on a giant Trinity. Mm -hmm. Super bike. Yeah. Full on done up. Yep. Uh, I'm going to be on a Trek speed concept. Super bike. Yep. Nice. And I can fit on any, I, I, I'm, I'm pretty easy to fit. Mm -hmm. So I can fit on pretty much any bike, but you, on the other hand, Nate, not very easy to fit because of, uh, especially because of your inseam. Yep. Uh, so you're going to be on a Cervelo P53. Yes. So out of all the super bikes, I didn't, uh, there were some less super bikes that I could be on. There's, mm -hmm. you know, there's multiple levels of bikes and I didn't want to lose a single watt to you dudes. Mm -hmm. I'm losing maybe a watt on the P5 with the three with the fork, but yeah. So I'm on the P5, which fits me. And then the P, there's two types of P5. There's a P53 and a P56. Mm -hmm. The P53 has UCI legal fork and an exposed front brake. Mm -hmm. The P56 has a non-legal UCI fork. It's just slightly, slightly out of the box. Yeah, in fact, that's something that we could probably help clarify from Cervelo's end because we were actually told by, uh, we, we read online and saw that, oh no, with the recent rule changes with the UCI, you can actually run the, the, the P5.6 now in UCI competition. The Trek Speed concept, for example, you can use the deep section fork now, and there's no problem with that. And everyone was assuming the same to be for the P5.6. However, and we were told by Cervelo that if you measure that fork, they said for like 99% of the length of the fork, it's good. But for there's one spot where they could measure it right there. And if they measure it in that spot, they could technically say that it isn't legal. Hmm. So it's, it's, it's really close, but not quite. And it's not worth the risk. And we want to be as legal as possible. So you're on the P53. And so the P56 is supposed to be, Cervelo says it's one watt faster. Yeah, which is- So if I lose by a watt, mm -hmm. that's why, guys. <laughs> there we go. There's also the P5X, um, and that's a different variant of it, but that's a crazy, like almost a beam bike, and that one you can't use at all in UCI nope. competition. Yeah. So that's why we're not using those. And that's why we're not using bikes like Ventums or anything else like that, because we need it to can't. be UCI legal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so some things to, to cover really quick though, you're going to be maxed out basically, uh, we assume with a seat post height and from what our research is. I'm going to be within, no, the, the, if you're a tall person, the P5 actually goes really high and, uh, I don't remember, I don't have the exact measurements here, mm -hmm. but I think I'll even have five millimeters extra. Okay. Um, you can email Cervelo and they'll, they sent me depending on saddle, here's the range for max seat post height. Mm -hmm. And even at my crazy, like one or eight ninety seven or something. Right. I think I had five millimeters of like wiggle room. Play. there. And this is going to seem like a strange spot to start on going through the equipment that we're going to use. But I'm going to start at the pedals because that's okay. an interesting spot for you. 
uh, we're looking at pedals that would actually reduce your stack height. Mm -hmm. And we're also looking at the primary goal is, is aerodynamics, but a perk of using speed plays in this case is the fact that it's less stack height than what you get usually with like a, a, a Shimano or um, a look or time, something like that. Mm -hmm. so what that, is stack height? Yeah. And stack height is basically going to be how far your foot is away from the spindle of the pedal. So in this case, your foot is going to be closer to the spindle of the pedal, which means that if you were on the line, let's say you didn't have five millimeters to play with, that would at least get you a little lower and you could actually run your seat post, you know, a little, uh, I guess should say you'd still no, be within so. range. Yeah. 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 And yeah. I think I looked it up. It's only like half a millimeter or a millimeter, the difference between my, the Shimano SPDRs mm -hmm. and those, mm -hmm. but still it's I want them less. A user emailed me who goes to this wind tunnel a lot. They're not wind tunnel, the, the arrow. Yeah. Yep. Um, a lot. And they said that the, the, the aero speed play pedals test significantly faster than other pedals. Really? I'm guessing that's if you are a heel down. Yep. I'm a toe pointer, so it's going to have probably less or no impact. But I know I do have some pedal strokes where I go heel down. Yeah. It's all over the place. Uh, so I feel that way too. Everybody is, yeah. Yep. yeah. So anyways, why leave anything on the table, especially mm -hmm. for this? So yeah. I'm going to... I think we're all going to use this, the aero speed pedals, right? Why not? Yeah. 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 Yep. yeah. yeah. We're all speed play fans and these... I've never used them. Considering the event. Oh. So we are. This will be cool. John, okay, that's yep. pedals. We talk about bars next. Uh, yeah, let's do that. So my bike <laughs> uses a terrifying steering stem on that thing. Uh, the steer tube on the Speed Concept is very small. It's like this. It's a little bigger in diameter than a dime at the top. It's like um, a large pencil. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty creepy. And I huh. think that the goal though is to be able to get a very narrow frontal area of the frames. So yeah. They don't have okay. a fatter steer tube. So, but that one that eliminates me from running any extra bars. Uh, luckily in this case, the stock bars aren't a bad choice. Uh, they're the speed concept bars that, that come on it. However, you guys are in a unique situation because you can run different bars mm -hmm. and we're going to be running the SES Aero TT bars from Envy. And to be clear too, um, Envy is supplying those to us for this project. So, um, but those bars are known and we sought after those bars because they're known for having a huge range of adjustability. Yep. When, amazing. Two for us, when people, when, if we ever like, if companies give us free stuff, it's usually because we want the stuff and we say, hey, give us free stuff. Yeah. We or never we say, hey, we're going to do this. And they say, yes, we'll give it to you. Yeah. yeah. We never say, and a company never says, I want you guys to use this stuff. And we're like, uh, I don't really want to use that stuff. We never do that. We no, just buy never. retail someplace else. Yeah. I'm not going to be slower to, to like, because I don't, because <laughs> exactly. they don't give us any money. Egos are on the line here, people. Yeah. 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 You know how <laughs> Much big it's more valuable. This room, we had to get it bigger. <laughs> For Nate. Raise the seat. <laughs> I believe Chad earlier said there's no way he's the winner. It's he started story. it. Exactly. Um, it's not ego talking. I just want to say so that when we do, uh, we do partnerships with people, but we're, and we'll always say it if we're doing it yeah. too. So I want to cover some things coming from a non TT background, uh, aero bars really quick for people that just don't know what aero bars are. I figure we should cover that. They, they have a base bar and that base bar is, is, has like an airfoil shape to it and it just sticks out perpendicular from the stem. And then it usually has what they call bull horns. So imagine like bull horns pointing forward. They're very small extensions that you could put your hands on. That isn't what you're riding in when you're in the aerodynamic position. That's like if you're done riding or relaxed, or there's like a really tight turn or something 
thing and you're He'll climb. Yeah. And you need some more, um, some more stability. And then on top of that, there's these little riser stacks that go to arm pads that, that fit just in front of your elbow. And then you have long tusks sticking out the front, which are called your extensions. So that's what an arrow bar setup is. Uh, I'm sure triathletes like rolling their eyes because we went over that, but yeah, mountain bikers are like, Whoa, some, yeah, exactly <laughs> right. So, uh, but the thing to the, that's cool about these bars. And in a lot of cases you can't remember they're the shape of an airfoil, that base bar. And a lot of bars, it's kind of like one fixed unit, the base bar to the extensions. So if let's say you need to tip the whole thing up so that you can be in a more comfortable position, then you've got an airfoil causing drag, right? Because yeah. it's like tipping wings up. Now upward. a snowplow. Yeah. Mm. Um, but the cool part about these envies is that you can adjust the arrow bars totally independently from the, the base bar. bar. Yeah. And the base bar actually hooks up to a normal stem. It's not like an ovalized mount. So that way you can, you can move that yeah. to be in perfect position regardless of the angle of your stem and then you can move the top ones. It's really cool. Other bars do that too, but I liked, well, the reason that I want to use the Envies for me is one, they're super adjustable mm -hmm. and that is going to trump like, so the, the Cervelo P5 comes with the, what are they called? Aduro? A Duro? A 3T Aduro. Yeah. Is the bar. Yeah. And, and it comes in a low, mid, and high V, they mm -hmm. call it, which is just the stack height between the base bar and those extensions. And that's, it was made specifically for that bike. But the problem with that is so the high V, I think, has like five centimeters of spacing for the pad height. Mm -hmm. But then it's solid. You can't adjust the pads without adjusting the spacers on the, um, mm -hmm. on your steerer tube. Yep. But the, the big, huge problem with this is that I believe there's a cap. Yes. on the stem. Yeah. And if you want to go down, you have to cut the steerer tube, yeah. right? Yeah. Like that's as far as I understand, that's how you have to do it. Yeah. So if I go to this aerosport and I want to play with something lower, you cannot. You can't I do can, it. Well, you don't play, you go. Yeah, right? exactly. You are there. Commit. Yeah. You commit. <clears throat> yeah, and the other uh, the other thing about that too is you can't change the pitch of, of the, those aero bars. Of the extensions, right? Yeah, so yeah. you'd and have what, to, what are the yeah. allowable limits for that? It's between the the top of the aero pads to wherever the top of your extensions or the bottom of your extensions are yeah. can be plus or minus 10 centimeters. Okay. So you can go up a, a good amount. Triathletes can do whatever they want. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there's like the praying mantis position. They used to have it a lot. I think Levi Lightheimer was famous of doing that. Yeah. Then the rules changed. Mm -hmm. But especially... I mean, in general, I like the idea of being able to be adjustable mm -hmm. and, and the, the, you can adjust the, those bars, like the pads and stuff and the extension length, but be able to go up and down side to side a bunch, but up and down without having to mess with my bike. And then awesome. when we go to the, to the velodrome to be able to really adjust that, that'll be awesome. Yes. So that is why I'm doing that. And the, the second part is they test really fast and Jim from Aerosport says that with the NV Aero stem, it is ad, as fast or faster and the Cervelo P5 stock bars. Yeah. Great. So there you are. Why wouldn't I use those? And then you'll yeah. probably be able to get into, you'll, you'll probably be able to get into a more aerodynamic position as is. So you'll be yeah. saving more watts. So that's the other point that's is that if they point, were, actually. if these bars were two or three watts slower, which is like mm -hmm. bars, aren't like 20 watts slower. They're, mm -hmm. they're all pretty close. If I could get in a better position, that could save me Mm -hmm. 25, 30 watts. Yes. And that isn't unheard of, of getting, of having that going from bad position to a great position. Yeah, which is why I'm also going to use these bars, even though it requires a bit of jerry-rigging. Yeah, yeah. It looks like it's pretty clearly set up, like in the sense that you have a steerer tube that extends pretty straightforward there, and we should be able to make it work. Yeah. Um, so you gonna are going to lose drag because you're not going to be as gain integrated. Gain drag, yeah. Yeah, you're, yeah, you're going to gain drag because you're not as integrated, but we assume that you're going to save in time by being in a better position. That's the idea. That's yeah. I'm banking on that. And yeah. why don't all superbike makers make their handlebars more adjustable 
for it's, this. That should be an easy grab, like a thing that's just like this is a is a is a th- this is actually a prerequisite for yeah. our for our bars. Your right? bike takes wheels and your bars are adjustable. Yeah, right? like, yeah. That's it. yeah. It should right. be straightforward. Agreed. Um, so I, I assume that probably Envy's leading the pack with that, and then I bet that more and more companies will end up making. Yeah, there. So uh, I think Profile Two makes some bars, but. I, Zip's got some, their bucos are pretty adjustable. Yeah, I know Envy is supposed to be like the most adjustable. At least mm-hmm. that's the word on the, the street. So, yeah. Great. Yeah. So, should be good setup. Now, uh, jumping strangely to the drivetrain, <laughs> uh, did we talk about your wax chain last week? I can't we remember. Did. Yeah. Like a lot. A lot. So, <laughs> <laughs> I think we're good. <laughs> we're going to be waxing our chains. I think it's clear <laughs> to say. Um, and when it comes to game day for the race, I think that we're going to be buying the special chain that's well, like less, le- or maybe. Maybe just Nate is. I'm not sure, but <laughs> no. I yeah. This is another point. I'm going to put, bring this up in, in the. So I am not naturally as fast as either you two guys. So you say. Yeah, I think we're kind of putting a uh, off the couch. I'm 100. My FTP is 180. Yeah. Yeah, but when you say off the couch, you're almost like legitimately, literally off the couch. <laughs> me, you get you get way deconditioned. We never get that deconditioned. But it's it's probably because we have like um like you you don't do much out of cycling in terms of like like you don't go backcountry skiing, um hiking all that often that sort of a thing right like it's cycling trail like running what you really do just, just yeah when you let it go you really let it go. <laughs> I did marching band pretty aggressively. <laughs> I don't know there that. I played in band. So I think that's around on stage. Chad and I maintain perhaps because of that sort of thing. Yeah, and I think that's what we're finding with Nate. He's actually got a high potential. He's just right. now exactly. finally exploiting, learning it. to exploit it. Yeah. Anyways, the, the, my point of this is, I just with a little bit of research and stuff, especially in this tech area, yeah. like learning what kind of tire pressure I should run. And we're going to cover all this later, but for, for these tires and maybe if there's two tires that they both cost the same amount of money, I want to pick the faster tire. You can do little things like that to make up. And you, if you want to be competitive with the best people, Mm -hmm. you need to do that. And hopefully we'll share some of that. So normally I wouldn't be telling anyone this stuff if I'm going to race, Right. but I want it to be an even playing field. I don't want after this to be like, oh, Nate won because he had a wax change. You know, yeah, everything's yeah. set up opting that saved them X amount. It of would be a bit of a hollow victory if you if we attributed all your exactly gains to your equipment and not your fitness. I mean, or just your, in terms of like ego for strength here. Yeah. But but on a regular race, it's not a hollow victory because you beat someone because you oh, yeah. like you oh. cleaned your chain That's, really well the night before. Wins a win. Doesn't exactly. matter how you get it. Yeah. For us three, we're really trying to create a level playing field, and that's, that's why it. that's different. So that's um, so we're going to think of uh, the chains in my mind. There's a Whipperman chain. Yep. There's a Premier Tactical chain, which is a treated Whipperman chain. It totally sounds like an arms manufacturer or something. Doesn't, Doesn't sound it? like a chain company. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then there's a YPN uh, titanium chain yep. that Molten Speedwax thinks is faster than the Premier Tactical How chain. How much does that cost? Uh, I 120? Oh. Something like okay. that. That's well, not ridiculous. Um, yeah. It's so expensive. Yeah. $500 or something. Not entirely, but mostly, yeah. <laughs> and then whatever those are, they're going to be waxed. And then we're going to use probably the, the Molten Speed Wax Speed Powder, which is like berry dust you put on your chain right before. <laughs> and it makes you like go We are these people's faster. just dream customers, aren't we? I know, right? Like, <laughs> you tell me what to buy? It on. But I assume that it's got a certain element of, of graphite in there. That's probably what it has. I have I no clue. 
I, I know that that's what we used to do in bed. And I told you guys this before, when the ski days, we actually used to put graphite on our skis and then, mm. and then rub them down with cork and do more graphite. Some so stuff. you'll see me though, with a little powder thing, with a little brush <laughs> and I'll be brushing my chain right before the race. And I think it makes, uh, I'm just, it's a lot of trust, right? If it You're makes a difference. People. So I'm kind of looking sure. for like more than one source that says that this is the fastest chain. Yeah. Um, yeah. and I don't, we don't have the equipment to test. I looked into it. Yeah. It's like 20 grand. Yeah. Uh, which is less than the, than the wind tunnel. Yeah. But, uh, I we're not going to spend 20 grand on it. So for wheels, my limit. this is kind of a one-time gig. I'm yeah. not sure we need to fund it that heavily. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, yeah. but I mean, if we, so if you get a fast chain and you figure out what the fastest chain is and mm -hmm. you can keep it clean. Yeah. I would just use it all the time. Oh, that's true. Right. Yeah. For the Absolutely. rest of your career. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, changing it out, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah not the same change. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, for wheels, uh, we once again we're going to be running Envy wheels, um, running uh, a front wheel from Envy, which is going to be the, probably the seven. Uh, that's their. They have seven point eight, six point seven, four point five, like that. That's like that how they work with their wheels, and that usually means forty in the front, fifty in the rear if it's a four point five. And in this case, seven in the front is what we'll be running. And then as far as what we're running in the back, uh, <gasps> it's an unreleased product from Envy. What? Uh, if you want to see it, you can see it in the video upcoming. Um, but uh, you'll also, if you've seen pictures of Dimension Data TT bikes, you, you'll probably have an idea of what we're talking about. I feel so special. Mm -hmm. It's pretty cool. Because Dimension Data is going to have it. Yeah. In us. And us. Yeah. And hopefully we can actually talk to the, because that's a big move. Uh, whatever is going to be coming out from them is a big move. So hopefully we can get some insight from them on behind. And, it could be cool. And they've said we can say yeah. Something unreleased. But yes. Anyway, so and we'll we're not breaking that. anything. No. Nope. Uh, but what's wrapping around those tires we can talk about. Yep. Vittoria's. Yep. So this is, there's a whole, like, there's, when you put on for TT, there's a relationship between the tire, the aerodynamics of the tire and the rolling resistance of the tire, right? And mm -hmm. the puncture and the resistance too. Yeah. And, and the wheel width and all that kind of stuff for the aerodynamics. Um, we are right now, the Victoria Victoria Corsa Speed tubeless. Yes. 25 millimeters. That has been tested by, uh, I've read two people, Tom Anault and the bicycling, the bicycle, I think it's called bikerollingresistance.com. Or, uh, yeah, yeah. If, I you, if you just it, Google yeah, bike yep. rolling resistance, you'll find it. Mm -hmm. Both of them, um, and I Tom Anault too is like super anal. I really trust him too. Very geeky. Um, I don't know the bike rolling resistance people, but I, it's a similar <laughs> results significantly the fastest tire. Mm -hmm. um, and tubeless makes it even faster than even a latex tube. Mm -hmm. um, Tom, both companies verified that, or both sources. So we're going to, in a 25 millimeter, it actually blows up a little bit bigger. Yeah, it, and the reason for that is it's not like a normal tire. So it has, it's it's got a cotton casing to it, which most tires these days don't have cotton casings. If you go to tubulars, you can find a lot of them. And a cotton casing provides more or less rolling resistance. Mm. And the interesting thing about this tire is that it's actually just got the tread part glued onto the cotton casing. So it's almost like a semi-tubular construction, but it's like a, but it's like a clincher. And that's the, where the tread is, that doesn't stretch a whole lot, but the sidewalls where it's cotton, it does stretch a good amount. It kind of, it bulges, it doesn't bulge out. That's mm -hmm. a bad, I'm sure people are imagining something else, but it's going to measure probably slightly wider than you think and because of that casing. So eyeball test, it looks like it's going to fit mm -hmm. the wheels just fine because it's a wide, we're going to be on wider rims and it's a wider <clears throat> tire. Yeah, they're, go ahead. I know from talking to the flow guys that aerodynamics on a tire versus a rim are so sensitive 
and that if you don't have it just into like a couple PSI, it can drastically change it. Mm-hmm. We're not going to know that. We're not going to know what the optimal one is, and we're not going to have the equipment to get that close. Well, can't get us that. Well, we can we can talk to the guys that or so. The, the folks at Envy are going to be able to tell us exactly what profile it works best for those tires. Okay. When um, this, this tire that we're talking about right here has a 23 C size and a 25 C size. So we'll be able to see uh, which one's best and then we'll be able to make decisions from there. As of now, this is the plan moving forward, but it's we your may plan. Find out later. I'm not entirely committed to it because I have a question about the tire durability, which is super soft, super light. Valid concern. They feel like I, when they came into the office, I went to every cyclist around and interrupted their work and said, hey, feel this tire. <laughs> <laughs> because it feels like I don't know. Um, it's rubber it's, gloves. Yeah, like, it's like it's really just, stretchy. Uh, yeah. Um, and and the thing is, uh, while we're riding on roads that aren't traveled very often uh, with this course, because they're they're basically like farm roads that we're riding in in a larger valley. Uh, you know, we we won't have like a whole lot of debris, I assume, on the roads. No, but they're usually quite clean. And all all it takes is just <laughs> the you know one thing. Luckily, so. it's tubeless. Yes, and, but we're also so. Again, it's Vittoria Corsa Speed Tubeless. Mm-hmm. I put them now on my uh, my road bike because mm-hmm. I want to. I'm going to try them for the next few months outside. That's mm-hmm. good. And uh, someone else, Brandon, who's a lot lighter than us, but he's been running them for years. Never had a flat. There we go. If I if I ride them and I'm going on vacation and it's my wife doesn't know this, but it's really a training camp for me. <laughs> I'm going to use it every day. I'm sure she knows. <laughs> <laughs> it's training camp for her too. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, I'll, I'll report back on the durability yeah, that, be, of my own N equals one experience. That'll be good feedback. Otherwise, it's going to be the Vittoria Corsa Evo CX, which I've used for years. Yeah. yeah. For the cassette on the drivetrain, uh, we're looking at going with uh, – so this is a pan-flat TT, like we said. It does have a turnaround, uh, but – so that's a drop in speed. That's the most challenging – aspect of this entire course. <laughs> <Yeah>. Turnarounds <laughs> can be challenging, yeah. guys. Oh, no, no. You can you can blow it on a turnaround. Especially when you're seeing red from, you know, pushing deep and all that mm-hmm. stuff. So, mm-hmm. uh, but that said, we're still going to be running cassettes. We, we we don't care about running a wide-range cassette in this case. Uh, mm-hmm. In fact, having one that's going to have a closer two or, spread. Two or three gears, really. Yep. Yeah. So, if we're looking at ideally going for something like an 1123, um, maybe, but they're tougher to find these days. 1125 is usually easier to find. But uh, an 1123 cassette is really like ideal for what we're looking at. Mm-hmm. We want a straight chain and a, to a reasonably quick cadence. Yeah. yeah, so there's two things to think about here if you just want to get super anal, which I do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, one is, which I just mentioned, you want a straight chain line. So if we have a smaller front chain ring and we're in our big like 11, mm-hmm. that's going to be a slightly like not straight and you're going to lose maybe a watt there. So friction fracks. Yep. Facts. And one thing uh, – well, that I just want to point out, and like you said, friction facts reports that I think a lot of people assume that it's a whole lot more loss. Like I hear people saying, oh, you're cross training, you're losing a massive amount, exactly. but modern chains have changed a whole lot from what they used to be. And they allow for a lot of lateral movement without as much loss. Mm-hmm. That said, you still, it's still not as efficient, but I just wanted to make that clear. So. For the front chain ring, uh, there's another thing about chains is you don't want them to do little teeny turns. Little mm-hmm. teeny turns are less um, tight bends. Tight perhaps, bends, right? Is the better way to say. It. Are are you lose watts that way? Fractions mm-hmm. even. Yep. Yeah. So we want a bigger chain ring up front, mm-hmm. which might be like one again one watt saved, mm-hmm. and then in the back we're going to want to ride kind of in the, I kind of want to get a big enough chain ring where I can kind of ride in the middle. So I got a perfectly straight chain line yeah. and also in the back, it's a little bit bigger cog. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of big and big. Mm-hmm. And then, um, in the front, I think I might try an arrow chain ring. 
I tried to look. I don't know if there's anyone who said that arrow chain rings are faster. Yeah, I don't know, man. I don't imagine that making a a lot of turbulent. We got a lot of turbulent. All I want is one watt. If all these things do one watt and I do ten of them, yeah, that's good. But in keeping with your uh, objective to avoid those those tight angles, we're also going to use larger pulleys. Yeah. Yeah, that was my. I was going to say. Oh, I'm sorry. No, it's okay. <laughs> no, it's okay. A good segue. Right. Yeah. Um, so they and and those tight bends. That's also something. Just a little side note. That's why Nino Scherter runs like a 38 or a 40 on his on his on his cross country mountain bike mm-hmm. a lot of the time with Eagle, because that's still he's a beast and he can push something like that on those mm-hmm. XC courses. But his main motive in that uh, because he doesn't use those gears that go faster down at the bottom very much because he's really trying to run a big bend in the front and a bigger bend in the rear. So. Yeah, so then he can. Yeah, there's you. He's going to use more of the, the 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 bigger part of the cassette. Exactly right. The bigger cocks. Mm-hmm. Very smart. Yep. That's probably why he wins world championships. He right? is the best in the world. Yeah, yep. I'm sure for plenty of reasons. And so. it's the, I mean the best in the world have to do those little small things. Exactly. That's why we're doing it. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Let's get into pulleys. Okay. So the the common pulleys that people see, uh, the ones that everyone obsesses about like crazy, are ceramic speed pulleys. Uh, they're very expensive, man. A little too expensive. This I might think, be yeah. the bridge too far for me. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. it's like one watt, five hundred dollars. It's yeah. nuts, man. I can't do it. Other things when like you can choose. There's like two things a similar price. Yeah. You just like the chain ring. It's it's gonna be the same price for a. A slightly larger chain ring. Exactly. Uh, yeah. But and not $500. In this case, there are other options, though, to the ceramic speed thing. Because really, what ceramic speed is doing is I think that they really sell hard on the ceramic bearings, which those sure make some difference. Um, but really, I think that the tolerances of the cage makes up a better spinning unit than just simply having ceramic bearings. It's it's the fact that it's very, you know, very well engineered in the cage itself. So they have that. But then... There are other brands. Four years is one. I hope mm-hmm. that's how you sp- how you say it. No clue. F O U R I E R S. Then KCNC. They also make another one. Um, so there are options there, and the and the four years are really uh, they're they're relatively cheap. I think they were like a uh, hundred bucks. I think somewhere around there for the. Yeah. And pulleys. what we're looking for there is just the oversized pulley wheel exactly because we want right. not the tight bend. Um, and I'm I'm trying to find tests on those. I haven't found any. Mm-hmm. Yeah, are there arrow consequences on that? For the bigger know. pulleys? Yeah, I mean, it, that's a valid question that I don't think people are really something that kind of dangles out and away from the bike. Not yeah. for you, Chad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. But an, uh, another Chad good point is... keeps the 11 and never <clears throat> dangles there. <laughs> yeah, I wish. With all of the, uh, the chain things I've been doing, yeah. I haven't... Maybe one bike, but I've, always, I've had a slow pulley. Mm-hmm. Like, so if you take your chain off... You have two pulleys back there. Mm-hmm. You should, one I could spin and it would go, you know, spin around for a couple seconds. The next one I would spin mm-hmm. and it would go halfway around and yeah. stop. So they, they, I mean, they have a lifespan, right, Jonathan? Yeah, yeah, bearings have a lifespan for sure. But a lot of it, I think, has to do with maintenance too. Like if you were to actually go in there and really clean it well, I bet that it would free up. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, and that's something that no matter what, if you buy ceramic speed ones, uh, you're, if you don't clean those things and maintain them, you're still going to have problems. So it still comes down to the same old stuff there. Um, I guess, uh, moving away from the bike, our skin suits, uh, we already got them and we went with no pins. That's the brand. I, th- I believe BioRacer makes the skin suits, yep. uh, but no pins attaches like this clear pocket onto the lower back. It's the greatest thing ever. It's pretty sweet. So yeah. we don't have to glue or pin a number. Thank goodness. It just goes in the pocket. Yep. And <laughs> it just goes in. Now, if you don't have something like that, you can go on to our YouTube channel and our blog. You can see we did a video on how to pin your number to make it faster um, and not lose time. But in our case, we don't even have to worry. We're just going to slide it right in there. But these are special skin suits, right? I mean, they, they yeah. have some arrow features designed into them. So 
another podcast listener, Pamela, told us about them, and I researched them a bit. But they have, like, when you buy them, you can say, are your hands going to be close or far apart? And they put trips at different areas. What are trips? Um, they're like uh, grooves in the skin suit that are meant to disrupt the air. Yeah. Because you don't, so that it's a little bit more turbulent as it goes past you, and you don't get this thing that's, um, you can get this suction if it's too smooth where it's mm-hmm. behind you, and that suction can slow you down, yeah. and you want it to kind of be washed Third out. Year. What dirty, dirty yeah. yeah. That's why they have like dimples air. on some helmets and stuff. Oh. Yep. Um, Golf balls yep. have the same thing. And and the the point is to to be able to guide the air smoothly over the surface. And if you Our can s- plan turbulence in the proper spots like that, then you can guide that air more. The speed play aero cleats have them as well, yeah. Exactly. The right. Yep. Yep. And we're do. not so we're not I don't know if this is smart, but we're we don't have any like skin suits to test mm-hmm. other than that. Like but this one, this one is uh, reportedly fast, very know, fast. So still. we're we're kind of putting a lot of trust into that. You know, it might be fun when we go do the aero testing to just put on like a normal skin suit. And, That's not and a bad idea. Just a regular. You have an extra whatever one, brand. You? I have many. Yeah, uh, that'd be interesting then. I to do that if we have time. Let's do see, just I'll bring a couple. I'd yeah. be really interested to even do like the two-in-one skin suits that we have from Quarry and see how much of a loss that is because that thing's pretty aero feeling, right? So it'd be really interesting to see. That's useful information. Yeah. That would Let's be. do that. But it's not the same as a. It's not the same as as, as like a full-on TT suit. Yeah. So it shouldn't be faster, right? But, it shouldn't be, yeah, because yeah. it's different too. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. yeah, so that's what we're running for skin suits. Uh, for gloves, we don't know yet, but that's that's something that we want to test. And there are yeah. a few things that we want to test here, kind of do A-B tests to see if gloves are faster. Because they, I, what I've heard at least, and I'm sure you guys have heard the same, is that it depends totally on your hand position with gloves, right? I have no clue. It, yeah. I've heard it. Yeah. I yeah. don't know how much validity there is to it, but yeah. So I guess we'll we find that out. Makes good sense. Yeah. Um, it's, and, and it depends like if you curl your hands over the bars or if you have your hands <clears> underneath or if you have your a lot hands of on hand top positions, and yeah. so many different things. What'll be interesting though, is we're going to try to get like, uh, like real TT gloves. Mm-hmm. If, if we're all in Which different. Which usually are just very slip. They're, they're very, there's no seams on the top and then they usually go up onto your forearm. They go past your wrist a bit. Yeah. That's like the difference between a TT glove and a normal glove. It'll be interesting to see that if we all have different hand positions, but we're all faster with the glove, mm-hmm. that'll be great for listeners. Totally. Because then right. people will buy gloves and they'll be faster. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Good for glove it, companies, I it guess. It would make sense. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Maybe not. I mean, maybe it's not 100% true, but it would make sense that for most people, gloves would be faster. Another thing we're looking at testing is uh, aero socks, I should say. Yeah. Um, yeah. Versus, so geeky. Yeah. Versus Unless we go with overshoes. And that's another thing that we want nope. to test down there in the same region both. is seeing if overshoes. A sock under an overshoe? <laughs> Oh no! That, socks versus just aero socks versus normal socks. Seeing if there's a difference there. That makes and makes then sense. overshoes versus aero socks to see if that's a difference. I got so that. the UCI rule is that the sock can only go up halfway up your calf, mm-hmm. right between I think it's your ankle and your knee. You've got a lot of calf. I do. You've got a long leg, <laughs> but that's a lot of drag. <laughs> that's true. That's but they're aero. Yep. <laughs> so um, aero legs. With the 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 no pin <laughs> socks they actually have trips on the front. To help. seams again. Yep. Yep. And then so you could have an overshoe and we're going to test the Velotoes ones. We're going to try to get some, I think a bio racer run and I think no pins makes one. Mm-hmm. We're going to try a bunch. And that only covers maybe a little bit above my ankle, mm-hmm. but then the sock would still be exposed. So that's why the arrow I sock gotcha. would still, mm-hmm. hope, I mean, the idea is that it would be a benefit. And I'd yeah. like to be able to know how many watts that arrow sock, then I just might wear it for every single race ever. 
honestly, a lot of these could be that sort of takeaway. I mean, yeah. if it works here, why not apply it elsewhere? I just yeah. get made fun of, but I don't care. <laughs> It'll be slower than me. Exactly. <laughs> Go ahead and make fun of me from behind. That's, all right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's, that's exactly. Uh, helmets is another thing that we didn't talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, as far and and I guess that you know helmets have different shapes. A lot of helmets are a lot smaller, and if you're a head down type of person, the assumption is that that's better. Or you move your head a lot. If you move, yep, yep, uh, good one too. Uh, th- there are helmets with tails, and if you're the type of person that has a static position that complements that tail, so that it basically makes a smooth transition from your head to your back, that could be a good option. Um, so we're going to be testing out helmets there too. Um, it's so to which helmets are so individual. Yes. That. And, but they're so important too. If the, if one is faster for you, it's not necessarily faster for me. Yep. Yep, exactly. Uh, and then I guess the last thing is hydration. Um, now this is a 40K TT. So I don't think any of us are planning on drinking during that Depends race. Depends on the heat of the day. Yeah, and I think if you come into a well hydrated, we're racing early morning. It's going to be like a 9.30 at the latest start. Mm-hmm. I don't think the temperature is going to be... Uh, that big of an impact yeah. impact. So say that now. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll see. It could I'll be. certainly come prepared for it, but I don't plan on bringing any hydration on the bike. And could the, be 40 degrees. If it's that, I'm probably just going to wear a thermal undershirt. Fahrenheit. Yeah. Yeah. 40 degrees Fahrenheit, or it could be 40 degrees Celsius. No. <laughs> I mean, it could be like, uh, yeah, it could be like 80 nine. degrees, yeah. 90 degrees. And something that, uh-huh. that I think is key with this to, for people to understand is if you are in your aero position and you can't have like a bottle between the bars, that's not UCI legal. Or straw. So you got to break position straw. to drink. So you have to have that down in the bottle cage. So you're going to have to break that position. We're talking about all these little things to save a watt. If you break that position for yeah. a period of time, that saves that. But there is a case for having that bottle on the on the cage because certain bikes are more aerodynamic with a bottle in the triangle. Or and they, you could yeah. get a really dry mouth or something like that. And could. it could be so distracting that, you know. Perhaps and you that, that get- two second penalty is actually worth it. Mm-hmm. Maybe. They have aero bar arrow bottles too that are you sometimes they're drag like uh zero. that's what i have in a rundle mm-hmm. yeah makes an, a, a nice arrow bottle so we might want to i don't know if we want to test that too if we have we'll extra see. time i would like yeah, to test that I'm just for to. future longer races to say yeah. hey if i have two bottles on here how much time am i losing yeah, yeah cool. or is it is it i'll bring it with i'll have it on the, on the bike and then we can decide whether or not we want to take it off and see cool. Well, that's just for yours, though. So I think it's going to be different for one of our bikes. It is. It should be. Yeah, yeah. But it's good information for anyone running a Trinity TT. For sure. Sure, yeah, and common bike, too. So we're going to be doing that in the middle of March. Um, is there anything else that you guys wanted to cover on equipment? Uh, if there's anything we forgot, please put it in the comments yeah. so we can geek out on that. <laughs> so or we can I get can. faster. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so hopefully what we can deliver from all of this is actionable stuff that you guys can apply, even if you're not a time trialist, maybe into your races and that sort of thing, that your road races, <clears throat> mountain bike races. Uh, Leadville is basically just like a really long 40K TT, or for really long TT with knobs. So. Even the gravel racing we do, like yeah. everyone wears like mountain biker-ish clothes, but I feel like there's so much time by yourself or like, or in drafting that it- I completely agree. It's really like a, a long time trial. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Turns out to be that way. Yeah. You need to be arrow. I think with gravel rides, people are just less concerned with that. They're more concerned with flasks of whiskey and, and wearing well, Daisy Dukes. and uh, just strong case for that. Yeah. Grinduro, <laughs> yes. Yes. But uh, lost and found, people are racing that. Oh yeah. Right? Like yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm planning on wearing a skin suit. And people race Segundo. all of those. There's always a- a divergence. Yeah. yeah. And the Segondo that we'll be doing soon. Segondo is going to be, uh, yeah. people are going to want to show yeah. how strong they are. So. <laughs> the, that's the Peter Sagan dirt fondo that's happening up in Truckee here. Uh, we're really excited about it. It happens in early May. So it's going to be good fun. Uh, One last that, thing. Chad, are you going to race me next weekend or two Sundays from now? No. Nah. <sighs> that's like what Chad's never beat me. He's just never going to race solid. me again. It, 
Is that a victory you really want? I, I come out of hibernation, hop on a mountain bike, and you beat me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that really? You've been riding. It's hollow. I've been training. I haven't been riding. Yeah. When would when would the first time that I beat you be not hollow? <laughs> when we're on reasonably even ground, which this TT? Uh, we're getting toward. The yeah. TT or the grand, the Sagans? That'll work. Sagans thing? That works, yeah. Perfect. <laughs> John, so Jonathan, we're going to pre-ride that. We're going to take some <laughs> a lot <laughs> Monday, Wednesday, Fridays off. <laughs> Just to make sure it. I get the court. We'll try both bikes, mountain versus uh There we cross. go. We can mm-hmm. A-B test them. Uh, with that, we're going to try to go through some of these questions that we can relatively quickly that you, that have been submitted before this. And then uh, after the close of the traditional podcast, if you're here on the live stream, stick with us and we'll answer some of your questions there too. Uh, the first one's from Brett. He said, and this is a common question. He says, I'm a former bodybuilder turned cyclist. The other week you spoke about pre-ride foods and specifically said no protein. I was wondering why you feel simple carbs and no protein is better than having a little protein in the mix to aid in recovery. He said a teeny bit. Yeah, well, no, it's a good question. I'm glad I got brought up because I don't want to underplay the importance of protein um, as a macronutrient for endurance athletes. People think just because I'm an endurance athlete, I don't have as high a protein requirement as say a strength athlete does. That's mm-hmm. just not the case. We have a very high protein requirement. Um, all we were alluding to is that pre-race, and we're talking a guy who's traveling to a race that's three hours out, mm-hmm. protein is probably not the best bet. It just gums up the works. So, so you know, I don't want to, again, I, I would like to talk about how um, briefly in, in each mm-hmm. case, how re- uh, protein is important both post-workout and even during workout, not so much pre-workout. Mm-hmm. So, you know, post-recovery, um, it's widely agreed that endurance athletes, it, it's noted that the information is out there. Endurance athletes do have higher protein requirements. Yeah. Um, it's especially true for master's athletes. And, and it's as true for female athletes, which I, which I think a lot of people lose sight of. Yeah. In fact, the women's protein requirements are, you know, they don't pack around as much mass, so they don't have as high requirements, but relative to what their body size is, they do have high requirements. These days, protein is very assimilated to a bro supplement, right? Mm-hmm. Very so much so. Yeah. Very much so. And that's yeah. why I'm glad this question got brought up. Yeah, it's a good, really, really good point. And, the, and the, so the post-workout concerns we have are, are twofold. It's muscle synthesis and, and protein degradation. Those go hand in hand. Basically, we're looking for positive protein turnover. Mm-hmm. So the, the muscle protein that we lose versus the muscle protein that we build, we want to be on the positive side of things. Mm-hmm. So that's one concern. The other concern is glycogen repletion. We're not really talking about that here so much with uh, protein uh, mm. repl- or protein intake. Um, and then and during the workouts, it, it's same thing. I mean, we want to balance fueling with the, mitigating the, the muscle protein breakdown. There is protein breakdown. And the longer the workouts are, the harder the workouts are, the more we cost ourselves actual muscle protein. Mm-hmm. Those branched chain amino acids come from somewhere. They come from the working muscle. Mm-hmm. And if we can stave that off, all the better. And this makes the strongest case for in-workout intake of BCAAs, mm-hmm. something we've touched on before. And I actually feel good about saying is not the worst idea. There is... We have a bunch of BCAAs in mm-hmm. the kitchen if you want to use them. Yeah, and I know I, I was talking to Pete a little while back, Pete Morris, um, our uh, product manager. Yes. Mm-hmm. And he is also uh, studying nutrition at yep. uh, UNR or wherever. Yeah, he's a degree in nutrition, and he works at Cliff Bar for like four or five years, and there's a lot of nutritionists at Cliff Bar. Yeah, so, so he's he, very has, he has the appro- appropriate background to be you know, making these claims and, mm-hmm. and and giving me this advice, and, and he said BCAAs do contribute, or he if there are two things, I can't even remember what the other one was, BCAAs would be one of the things he would modify about uh, his diet on the bike. 
So I guess that when we're talking about pre-workout though, and it not being a good choice for pre-workout. Yeah. And that's, it's, it's kind of like, it almost seems like you're getting it like a good, better, best thing. Like, like you really want to put first things first or like have yeah. priorities. Right? And it's, you know, inside of three hours, you're not going to have a lot of time to push that protein through the system, mm-hmm. not to, not, not to a good place. So it's going to create certain gastric issues or GI mm-hmm. issues. Um, if, if you're outside of that three hours, you know, I've got four or five hours to play with. Sure. Some protein, even inside of that three hours, maybe some protein fits into it. Just not a whole lot of it. So gotcha. it's not to say you can't have protein. It's just to say there's really no, nothing I could find, no performance enhancing benefit to protein ingestion in a small window before a race. How much, uh, if you do use BCAs during a workout, how much? Quantity, I don't know. Actually, I do know. I don't have that information right here. I believe it's like, it's not much. It's like five grams. Yeah. It's, oh, it's, it's absolutely not. It's very little. It's not like, uh, you know, a bro, you think like, yeah. oh, this is my- Scoops on scoops. My 60 gram <laughs> protein or 100 yeah, gram I protein I don't want to touch that, but yeah. yes, it, it doesn't take a whole lot. I'm going to start trying it now, Chad. You better watch out. I, I think we, we all should. It's <laughs> all in our the best ceiling. <laughs> I know, right? I'm listening to you, Chad. But as with any of these things, um, you got to try it. So, mm-hmm. so do, do, you know, if you plan to apply it on race day, absolutely practice it during your training. Yeah. So you might find that you can tolerate a fair amount of protein three hours out from a race. Some mm-hmm. people can, some people can't. Um, and then as far as the carbohydrate, and we didn't really touch on this last week when we were talking about this three hour window, yeah. but it is better to go the low glycemic end of things. If you're three hours out, save that high glycemic stuff for the start line stuff. If you're going to ingest it at all. Yes. Makes sense. Good tip. Uh, one thing to note is if you get buy BCAs that are unflavored, they're disgusting. Very. So they're like, but just, There's just no. And you can, if you hide them with maybe with scratch or some other kind of thing, mm-hmm. um, they won't yeah. be as disgusting because then they will be flavored, but just taking it straight. Yeah. It's, it's hard. I've only taken caplets, so don't have to. Well, caplets would be, that's, you're so smart, Chad. Yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> the reason why he's here. The reason I am um, where I am. Uh, I've only used the Optimum Nutrition stuff uh, from their BCAAs, and it's like, and it has like a raspberry flavor or something like that. Yeah. Uh, it's fantastic if you put it in Pellegrino, just throwing it out there. So it's like yeah, a fizzy that, great drink. That too, the flavored stuff, I'm guessing is flavored with sugar. Uh, it's very, very, very low on sugar. In fact, I don't even know if it has any sugar. It says oh, yeah. probably just terribly artificial stuff. <laughs> yeah, not the worst thing mid ride though. I mean, yeah. absolutely. Well, I was gonna. Not. That's my point was if it's if it's if that sugar in it and you're mid ride, great. Not bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. That's yeah, that sugar is useful on a lot of levels. Yeah. Uh, let's go to Tony's question. Is that okay if we move on? To Tony's yeah, that was it. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Thanks, Chad. That was super helpful. You're very welcome. Uh, he says Tony says hello there. Great podcast and product. Five and a half star or five to the fifth stars, I should say. <laughs> he says. To say that my training so far has been lackluster would be an understatement, but I recently racked up 800 plus DSS greater than my total uh, total for the previous 10 weeks. Oh, that's oh. a big jump. <laughs> that's big, man. He says, putting aside being tired from nine consecutive days of riding, I'm wondering if I can take something away from this as to how much stress I can do in a normal week. He says, as a 55 plus rider, I've been concerned about recovery. And now I'm wondering if I've limited myself unnecessarily. When looking at possible alternatives for recommended workouts, um, so actually, should we continue to read this part, or do you want to address the first part for? Hey, let's talk about that first because that's yeah, such a that. big bump in TS. It's cause for concern. Yeah, I man. mean, because you can get away with it for one nine-day consecutive period. First off, look at how long it takes you to come back from that, and how much fitness you might actually lose over that recovery process. And secondly. Consider the fact that that's not sustainable. No. For most people, I mean, for for high-level riders even, certainly not a 55-year-old rider who has done substantially less in the preceding weeks. So you got away with it doesn't mean it's something you should do on a routine basis. (laughs) But his question is more, 
because looking at this, he he didn't do 800 over 10 weeks. So that's like 80 TSS a week. Yeah. yeah. And he said he was limiting himself because of being older. Yeah. yeah. And, and he's wondering if it was a mental limitation yeah. or a physical one. I would say, I, mean, I agree with you completely. Like anyone can push hard for a week and yeah. it can be really hard, but sustaining it's different. So the 800 isn't, that's that's separate yeah. discussion. Sure. But I like the idea and I'm I did this myself. You don't really know where your ceiling is until you try to find it. Yes. Um, so just because you're 55 doesn't mean you don't have yeah, – you're just, not like Jonathan. It's just like anything else. You know, <laughs> I, I weigh 108 pounds. I'm never going to be a good climber. Well, who says? I mean you can't you, – you impose these you know, forms of self-limitation and you only have yourself to blame. And not that, not that Peter Soggins 180 pounds, but remember that stage in the Tour of California, what, two or three yes. years ago when yes, he climbed up to Baldy? Yeah. And he was holding with everybody. And that – I don't know if I've ever seen somebody look so turned inside out, right? Like like he was probably ex- exploring all new mental limitations yep. uh, and, and completely yeah, overriding decided- the physical limitations that all of us have placed upon him and he decided at the start of that day he's gonna go do it Uh, it. mountain biking i believe that i can get the top 10 at that one of those races yeah and if you don't believe it it's never gonna happen Mm. that's the first step right a year ago chad's shaking his head no but no no no, yeah i'm agreeing okay yeah i'm just moving my head a year or two ago like you i I think that you probably if i would have said yeah you can win expert at that place you probably would have said i don't know about that Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. but now because you've taken a, a, a uh i should say a a, a strategic approach to how you've gotten better at mountain biking, yep. you're, you're, you're there. Yep. And then well, when you break it down and everything we just talked about, but yeah. just for Tony, like don't go. So you did one 800 a week. You're like, sweet. I can handle yeah. 800 to Chad's point. No, you can't, but <laughs> yeah. you, you did once. So. Yeah. But <laughs> doesn't mean you can't again. Lucky, buddy. <laughs> but there's, yeah, yeah. there's, um, ramps. And so if Tony does want to experiment with a higher load of training stress, uh-huh. He might start at uh, where, where 300, 200, mm-hmm. and then what would be a, a reasonable amount of t- uh, training stress to add every week for Tony to kind of see where he might end up? I wouldn't ramp it any more than four per workout per week. So when we're talking like- Four training stress? Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Four, four points. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's subtle. It's not it's not going to be much. So you're taking if you did a you know an 85 TSS workout or t- training test workout, then next week maybe it's 90, mm-hmm. uh-huh. and then same same with each workout over the course of the week. So okay. it's not a big bump, but it's enough of a bump to to let you know can I handle this? Then maybe you increase that ramp rate, or you just see how it bears out over a three week span. Mm-hmm. So over the course of an actual week, it might be. 20, 25 extra mm-hmm. points. Mm-hmm. Sure. You also find with time, and and I really do, I think that, that that ramp rate is how you will discover if it's a mental limitation or not. Mm-hmm. I think that that's like the way to, to weed it out is to have a, an approach that's proven yet conservative enough to make sure that you're not overdoing it yeah. because then that kind of takes care of that variable, you know? So then you can just push things up until you say, oh yeah, okay, this is my ceiling for now. And, and, and some, some writers can ramp very aggressively, mm-hmm. but- Typically, they're not 55 years old. Yeah. So, so as you get older, that ramp rate's probably going to come down. Your recovery rate isn't as as, uh, as uh, accommodating. Mm-hmm. There's this other thing to think about too, where this was so me for the last 10 years, where especially like beginning weightlifters, my muscles are a little sore. I can't work out. Right. I got to wait a whole week yeah, to feel. That's fresh. an easy rut to fall into, right? Yeah. And then also with cycling, I'd hear so much about overtraining. And stuff, and I'm like, I don't want to overtrain. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> wake up in the morning. I'm a little bit tired. I'm not as fresh. 
I'm going to skip this. And yeah. then it gets pushed out one day, it gets no. pushed out two days. Yeah. You I, have to learn to train through fatigue. I mean, yep. fatigue is part of this process. It's very rare. A necessary that I, part of this process. Yeah. It's, it's, I can only think of cyclists maybe on, I can count them on one hand that I've come across that have ever experienced true overtraining. I yeah. mean, it's- And they're going crazy. Right? Yeah, like um, Kyle Dixon, we've mentioned him on the podcast plenty of times before, but he's a he's a local athlete who's a multi-time national champion. He raced for pro road and mountain bike back in the day. Uh, and he was talking about when he first started cycling and he got really into it, mm-hmm. that guy was putting in like 40 hours a week, 50 hours a week on the bike. And he was just like, I should never go easy. I should just always go hard. Right. And he did that on just a months after months. And he ended up putting himself into a spot where he genuinely was overtrained for the majority of us. I don't think that we necessarily have to worry about like, you know, chronic fatigue from overtraining, anything like that. Yeah, no. It's a strong case for having a coach or at least having a training plan. Something yes. that tells you what to do when, and, and tries to, uh, in some way removes those excuses for you. Because again, the fact is some workouts, you're going to be tired. Mm-hmm. doesn't mean you can't do it. and doesn't mean you're not going to derive a pretty hefty benefit given proper recovery when that recovery is actually necessary. I feel like there's this fine line with, with fatigue that you can walk that like after if the, the two weeks before an actual week of recovery, if I'm walking that fatigue and it's, I'm tired, but not like super tired and I'm getting through my workouts. Mm-hmm. I'm like, man, when that recovery week comes, I'm going to get a bump mm. and I'm going to prove Chad wrong. It's <laughs> not my, yeah, whatever motivates you. <laughs> Chad, it's, it's an endless fountain talking to you. About motivation. <laughs> From between me and Pete, man, you've got your whole year done. Uh, by the way, update motivation. on Pete Morris, he just did the ramp test yesterday, which is a new 360. 360. Aww. Oh, <laughs> sad face. For I'm going to be, I'm going to beat him next ramp test. <laughs> <laughs> um, just one thing I wanted to, to share really quick. Well, you're saying prove Chad wrong. Uh, I think most people would be proving Chad right. And I think that that's, that's, and what I'm getting at with that though, is the fact that as long as you're recovering enough, uh, and you, then it, to, in, in terms of the training volume that you have selected, uh, we've designed these training plans so that if you did follow a plan, instead of taking get full guesswork, Tony, if you followed one of our training plans, I know this sounds like a total plug and I guess it really is, but if you did that, I think that's a safe route to go about it. Um, that's, that's a way that we've, we've laid things out and we really don't want to push people to, to the point where they're going too hard and, and having any. And pick a reasonable volume. Totally. Tony could pick the high volume, which does get up to 700, 800 and would probably be too much for a 55 plus. Totally. But start with low, go up to mid, how we've said before. Yeah. And it all, all the ramp rates are all in there. Uh, for you, Tom. Yeah, they're they're conservative ramp rates, intentionally so. The last thing I want to do is burn people out. So I I, kind of erred on the side of caution with just about all the ramp rates. Smart. That's the way to do it. Uh, let's go into, uh, Simon's question. He says, Hey guys, love the podcast and getting great value out of trainer road. Here's my question during the recovery weeks of example, he says, sweet swap based mid volume, the training stress is lowered, but the total time remains about the same. Last night I was looking at alternatives that have the same total training stress example, given Pettit, that's an easy workout that we have. Uh, uh it's just a, like, a, I guess it's 60 minutes aerobic. Yeah. It's just aerobic stuff. Easy stuff. Mm-hmm says it has 39 training stress points, but takes an hour. If time is short, rather than switching to a 30 minute versions version, such as volunteer, how would I do, or how about I did one of the harder workouts that you guys have that scheduled that are around the same time. He mentions, for example, Baird minus three, Gendarm minus four, South twin minus three. There's all workouts. If people are wondering scaled down versions, scaled down versions and scale down in terms of time, <clears throat> right? In, in some cases, they, they, or different in different ways. Awesome. A lot of the time. 
He says, although they're going into VO2 max territory, the recovery element of the week should remain due to the low volume. He says, does this seem like a good strategy? Could there be benefits or are there significant downsides? Let me rephrase this for you, Chad. So if I, he wants to not spend 60 minutes aerobic, he wants to do 30 minutes of VO2 max, come up with the same training stress at the end. Yeah. Is that smart? Yeah. It, awesome. It's well done. It's actually <laughs> potentially workable depending on the volume of your plan and just how deep you buried yourself in, in fatigue, you know, how bad off you are and, and all the things that come with training stress. Training stress, emphasis on the word stress. So so when we look at training stress, we just think, you know, bike workouts, but it's stress in and of itself, stress. I mean, this is, a, I mean, we have a, an autonomic response to this. Our, our sympathetic system gets revved up because this is another form of stress. It engages, to some extent, our fight or flight system and all the things that come with that happen when we're on the bike. Um, we can mitigate those effects quite well with, with nutrition and proper recovery and whatnot. But the fact is we're, fa we're, we're subjecting ourselves voluntarily, frequently to high levels of stress. At some point there has to be a downturn. Mm -hmm. and, and if you you know, deny yourself that all the time in these recovery weeks, which is the most obvious opportunity to give yourself a break from this stress and let all the harmful things that come with the stress kind of tone down, taper off, you, you run the risk of hefty issues, mm -hmm. especially if you're a higher volume trainer, if you're training frequently with a lot of intensity, yeah. um, simply riding your bike a lot, occurring a lot of volume. All of these things at some point need a downturn. Your body can't just continue to get stronger, stronger, stronger. Unless you're me. <laughs> something i wish cyclists would recover as hard as they train like yeah. like you know i i think that uh when you go into something like this the last spot at least in my mind the last spot that i'm looking for for gains coming from work is my recovery week like my recovery week i want to make myself an open sponge to be able to absorb <laughs> all that work that i've done right like yeah. i i don't want to be throwing too much more work at it i really want to i look at that recovery week as almost like a the same intensity of focus that I would put into my workouts, but I need to put them into other aspects of my recovery so that I can absorb that. Yeah, and it, it's always dependent on certain factors. Some riders recover more quickly than others. They don't need an entire week. Um, lower volume riders don't need as much recovery as higher volume riders. Mm -hmm. um, times a year, the, the, the amount of intensity versus the amount of volume versus the combination of the two involved in what led up to this, re this scheduled recovery period influences what that recovery period needs to be. Mm -hmm. So. It's not, it's not always a simple answer, but it, it, this, the fact of the matter is at some point we have to allow the body to heal. Mm -hmm. Can you do that with a little bit of intensity still sprinkled into the, into the recovery week? Possibly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's also a, a mental aspect of it because I love uh. sitting down. I'm going to watch a movie. It's <laughs> going to all feel easy. Yeah. Rather, even though it takes an extra 30 minutes, it's like, it's relaxing almost yeah. versus- well, VO2 max, and ouch. It's a form of reward. I mean, you you, you work really hard mm. for two, three, five weeks, whatever, knowing that that recovery week is is the, the light at the end of the tunnel. You yeah. have to you have to deliver on that promise. You can't just set these incentives and and constantly you know work past them because you can do it. Mm -hmm. That's not always beneficial. Mm -hmm. So allow yourself that reward. Yeah, I think that the last thing, at least that I want to add to this too, is when you look at those recovery workouts, you may be like me, where you think that like a longer ride at lower intensity is less favorable or less enticing than a short ride at higher intensity. Like I crave those sort of rides, even during recovery weeks. It's not that my body um, I do it. too, actually. Like yeah. I psychologically think like, Ooh, that sounds like I could just get it done. And, and it's, it's easier for me to focus on anything like that. Right. I, I still, that once again, that's a good opportunity for mental discipline. 
Like instead of looking at things from, from the perspective of you might want to do something else, look at the things you don't want to do and then use that as an opportunity to become more disciplined because mm -hmm. in all forms of bike racing, I mean, TTs, especially they're very much like that focused, you know, mm -hmm. there's not a whole lot of distractions, but in every single form of bike racing focus is so key. And if you can really learn to drive that into yourself, uh, regardless of the circumstance just, or work, just consider the, the cumul cumulative stress over time. I mean, you can't just keep piling stress on stress on stress on stress and expect things to keep trending the way you mm -hmm. want them to. At some point, you have to remove some of that stress and start again. The last question that we're going to cover from this in the podcast is or this week is from Jason. And we're just going to share a few quick tips, like a round table, so to speak on this one. He says, I've recently started road biking and last year, or last year I did 2,500 miles and he started last year. So that was his first year. He says this year, I wanted to do some events to push myself and ended up getting pulled into a huge event that is 418 miles over six days. Sounds like you have some good friends, Jason. <laughs> he says it's, or it's about, it equals out to be about 70 miles a day and it's 25 25,000 feet of climbing over the six days, uh, which is a hefty load there. You ever done 25,000 feet of climbing? I should tell you about it. <laughs> it was uh, 29,221, I think, something like that. So it's cool. called Everesting. Yeah. Cool, dude. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for those that don't know, by the way, they're new to the podcast. It's a running joke that I talk about my Everesting attempt too much. So um, anyways, he says... Uh, it's going to be a supported event with lots of aid stations. I'm intimidated, but I'm committed to just making it without injury. My max distance ride so far has been 50 miles for a beginner like me. What are the key things I should do between now and June to give me the best chance to finish the event and enjoy myself? This is awesome. Yeah, this is kind of fun. This is the crash. Uh, uh, Jason has the right mindset. I just want to first and foremost, that's Finish the event and enjoy myself. That's why I highlighted that. Yeah. Way Good to go. attitude. That's get your priorities in line. Why yeah. You, you want to go, Chad? Uh, yeah. Uh, outside of maintaining your, your consistency and, and you know, at, uh, respecting when your body actually needs to recover, so, you know, basically what we just talked about, um, I think you need to do a couple long rides. So if you've only done a 50 mile ride yet, every day is going to be 70 miles. You don't want mm -hmm. every day to feel like this new uh, <laughs> yeah. this new accomplishment. Yeah. Yeah, so at right. least do a couple of long rides. So every couple of weeks, literally every two weeks, if you can make your, you know, your weekend ride, typically when people have the most time, um, uh, an 80, maybe a 90 mile ride, just something, or maybe even a 70 mile ride yep. um, break it up in chunks. If necessary, you're going to have a lot of stops over this. So it's not like you're doing 70 continuous miles mm -hmm. and that's very forgiving. We can talk about that in a little bit too, mm -hmm. but I would do at least, you know, a bi-weekly long ride just to know you can do it and to kind of flesh out some of the things, some of the issues that crop up when you do these longer rides. I would say even some 50s. Sure. Totally. Sure. Because I'm always amazed at what you can do for 50. You can do for 100, right? Like, yeah, exactly. You don't, it yeah. doesn't have to be 70. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing too, especially with it being cold outside right now, uh, trainer rides that are like two, two and a half, amazing, especially if you're new, pedaling straight for that time and maybe just some bathroom breaks. Yes. How much your legs will like, um, they'll just won't fatigue as fast yeah. um, by not stopping versus if you go outside and do a 50, 60, you probably have all these downhills and you're stopping the whole time. Stop lights, whatever. Exactly. Else. Coasting, something yeah. that doesn't happen. You, you have to coast. Like everyone coasts when yeah. you go outside. Um, it's, it's huge. So I would get some good movies and do some lower intensity workouts for yeah. a long time. Yeah, seriously. If you could work up to a two hour 
mm-hmm. two hour ride, maybe a two and a half, and then eventually a three even, yeah, that would put you in a good place. You could do a three inside. I, I'm telling you, that's going to be- You're, you're going to be mentally <laughs> yeah. tougher than the rest too. Well, two, and just be able to finish all those other rides. Oh, totally. It's, it's going to be- yeah, Three hours of steady stress. Even if you take a couple little back pedals in there, or maybe even a minute to hop off the bike and replenish your water or something. Mm-hmm. Yep. The thing that I would add to this is use those rides that we're talking about, those, those rides that you do on the weekend when you're outside and the rides that you do when you're inside that are longer like that to refine your nutrition strategy. I know that you're saying that it's a supported event with a lot of aid stations, but you never know if you show up at that aid station, all they have is like Coke and they have like orange slices or something. Not to mention you can, you you can overnourish, overhydrate. That's pretty easy when, when it comes at this frequency. Yeah. So it's a good, uh, it's a good opportunity to just like, basically just refine that process starting now. And you'll be able to find out the thing, the, the food that actually works for you. And then you'll be able to find out where you need to buy that because maybe it doesn't come from a local bike shop or maybe there won't be a bike shop in that region with it, that sort of a thing. So it's that sort of stuff, like the, like the small logistical things of a multi-day event, I think actually become very important because when you get into this, you know, your fitness is done, it is what it is. Uh, and then hopefully your equipment's not falling apart on you, but Mm -hmm. then the rest of it, all those little things do make a difference. So, uh, call ahead, see if you can stock some folks on Strava that have done this before and see what they did. Um, if you can find anything on a forum about how people did this and if they said, oh yeah, when you get to this town, there's absolutely no restaurants. So you're going to need to bring food, right? Something like that. It's a really good idea to just try to research that aspect. of And, it too. and do recognize that it's a six day event and we're talking six consecutive days too. So you're not going to be looking to break any records on days one, two, yeah. or even three. Yeah. Uh, Jason, call. draft a ton. Don't draft above your speed, but find a group that's your pace. Just like sit in as much as you can. And that goes with what I just said. Don't don't lump into a faster group because they're going faster and you think, oh, I can hang on with these guys. Well, you've got five more days of racing. So may not maybe be the on best, day six. Best bet. Maybe on day five if you're feeling <laughs> if you're feeling frisky, yeah, but really. but uh save that. The other thing, since you're new, Jason, is gonna be comfort is gonna be huge. And if you have some spacers, I would personally raise my handlebars up a little bit. If you have any so right now, if you go on your fifty mile and at the end of your fifty mile and your neck's hurting. Or it's back. just or your back. It's going to be magnified over six days. Yeah. Um, again, you know, try this out earlier. But I would, I would go on the comfort size too because you just want to without injury finish without injury and enjoy it. And I would say the best way to go about that is to find a bike fitter that would comprehend what you're going to be doing. And it's not just like, you know, the, the old guy, at the bike shop that drops a plumb bob and like magically puts you in the right spot, um, find somebody and they don't need to have lasers or something either. Yeah. It's just find somebody that comprehends the differences in position for different demands. And, and you know, you find that out by asking around, mm-hmm. that's the way to do it. So the other thing, Jason, uh, wax chain, skin suit, <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> the, um, one other thing to think about is, um, I know Chad's not a big fan of this, but chamois cream, I am in, mm-hmm. uh, I think it has its place. I just yeah. I, I just don't want it to be the band-aid for every time you get a little bit yep, of exactly. chafing down there. Three giant saddle sores right now. <laughs> oh, <laughs> TMI. <laughs> they they <laughs> can you help me with it? Nope. <laughs> but it's something to it's 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 not talked about enough because yeah, yeah. I wore bad chamois once. It was too old. Mm-hmm. I got one. And then on, on the ride. mountain bike t- ride, I had ice on the race. I was in a different spot because I was avoiding that. Yeah. And I got two more. I threw away those. Um, that's that's so, so key is not trying to make your chamois last longer <laughs> than they should. Them, yeah. I just have to throw it away. They have a very finite lifespan. Yeah. But I would, Jason, too, since you haven't ridden six days, I would start testing now. I would use chamois cream because if you get it on – if you you know if you go every third day and 
normally, you have more time to recover between each one. Mm-hmm. And if on day two, uh, you start getting a saddle sore, it can make the other four days not enjoyable at all. Yeah. That brings up another idea or another thing I would like you to consider, Jason, is that you're doing a multi-day event and you're new to riding. So recently started road biking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you haven't done multi-day affairs, and it doesn't mean you have to go out and do plan your little six-day mini camp or anything, but maybe see if you can work in a, a Saturday, Sunday, back-to-back if you haven't done that already. Mm-hmm. If you have, try a Friday, Saturday, Sunday. See if you can do a three-day block and how that third day yeah. feels because it's going to be very informative. And- uh, beneficial in terms of training too. Even just three hours on the trainer, right? Mm-hmm. Hour, hour, hour sure. is is also yep. beneficial. Yeah, and then the last thing that I would want to add to this is uh, tires. Make sure that you it, uh, try to run tubeless. That's a good idea for a ride like this just mm-hmm. because you'd be amazed at the little things that you might be able to dodge because it seals up with sealant. Uh, but then make sure that you carry in tubes and all that stuff too because it's for some reason – when you have a tube, it just is like tiny little pin, you know, pin pricks into your tire. But then when you run a tubeless tire, it's like somebody's taking a machete to your tire every time you get a flat. I swear. So, and those ones don't seal. Uh, but but do that. Make sure you're very versed in like simple repairs like that. Mm-hmm. So then, if you're with a group uh, that you don't you don't you know you aren't stuck there and you have to wait for some type of neutral service, that way you can just fix that tire, get going again, and catch back up to the group. That would be a that would be one thing I would want to do too. So. Cool. All right, everybody, thanks for listening or tuning in to another episode of the Ask a Cycling Coach podcast. If you're with us on the live stream, stick with us. We're going to answer some of the questions that you've submitted throughout this podcast. If you're with us on the podcast, thank you again. And you can submit your questions at trainerroad.com slash podcast. We'll talk to you all next week. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye.